Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Well, in order to prepare for our catechism class today, we should read Psalm 51 and 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Of course, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 is a well-known passage of Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it's important to remember that becoming a Christian is not at all like joining a club. It's not like enrolling in a lifestyle program. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not even giving passionate assent to a list of Christian beliefs and doctrines. When a person becomes a Christian, it is through a process that we call conversion. Now, people speak of this in different terms. They talk about being saved. They talk about being born again. They talk about having new life in Christ or coming to faith in Christ. All of those accurate enough terms, biblical enough. It was the Lord Jesus who said, ye must be born again. It was Paul who said, by grace are ye saved through faith. And who described becoming a Christian as having new life in Christ. As we've already seen in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Now, conversion is not going on a journey of faith, nor is it finding yourself, nor is it following your heart or being true to yourself. None of those contemporary phrases describe conversion. Becoming a Christian is undergoing a complete change, not a change of lifestyle or a change of habits, but a change of life itself, a new birth. It is a change that is initiated by God. It is accomplished by God in our lives as he applies the saving work of Christ to us as individuals. He brings us to repentance of our sin and to faith in Christ as Saviour and as Lord. So we do not decide of our own free will to change, and nor does God simply give us the ability or power to change ourselves. He changes us. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. In Lord's Day 33, the Catechist teaches us about the nature of true conversion. And when he answers the questions, he does it meticulously, as he always does, and with great clarity. So in question 88, we are asked, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? What is the true repentance or conversion of man? And the answer to that is that it is the dying away of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. And that's conversion in a nutshell. Conversion occurs when God completely slaughters our old sin-loving desires 
and makes us spiritually all over again. He doesn't just give us a second chance. If he did, we'd just blow it all over again. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new passions. He gives us new motivation. He gives us new life. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8, we read these words. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with all his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Well, that's a very good definition of conversion, the dying of the old nature, the coming to life of the new. Of course, the catechist won't leave it there. He goes on to explain what both of these works of the Holy Spirit and the believer mean and what they achieve. So in question 89, he asks us, what is the dying of the old nature? And he answers, it is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. So what does it mean when we say the Christian has died to sin? Does it mean we don't sin anymore? No, it doesn't. The Catechist gives us three reactions to what we call the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the first thing is that we will recognise our sinfulness. We will recognise our sinfulness. We will grieve with heartfelt sorrow. In conviction, the Holy Spirit enables our, enlightens our minds to realise our true condition before God. Our instructor here talks about the, the heinous nature of human sin, the sin by which we have offended God. Sin is, by its nature, offensive to God. We seldom think that. Um, as human beings, we excuse sin. We call it the product of our environment. We talk about our deprived childhood. We blame our sin on our lack of resources or the conditions of our society. But sin is none of those things. We sin because we are born as sinners. All sin offends the God who is holy and who created us to have fellowship with him in his holiness. And so when David sinned against Bathsheba, against her husband, against his military commander, he still had to confess us in Psalm 51. In verse 4 he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be fine just when you speak and blameless when you judge. All sin, no matter how small that sin might be, is rebellion against God and it's offensive to him. And we are guilty of it. So the first thing that defines the dying of the old nature is when the Holy Spirit causes us to recognise our own sinfulness. But the second thing that defines the dying of the old nature is that we will begin to hate that sin. We begin to hate it. More and more, says the Catechist, more and more to hate our sin and conviction. You see, the Holy Spirit disturbs our hearts. See how the Catechist describes our feelings and our emotions here. This is a heart issue. The Holy Spirit's conviction grips us and, and our conscience is smitten. 
He talks about grieving, about sorrowing, about hating, very emotive, very evocative language, under the burden of guilt, awakened by the Holy Spirit's work. We are emotionally traumatized by the reality of our sin. We're in deep distress about the offence we have given to God. And we begin to hate that sin that's within us. So David says in Psalm 51 and verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So in the dying of the old nature, the Holy Spirit causes us to recognize that we are sinners and smites our conscience so that we despise and hate our sin. And the third aspect of the dying of the old nature is that we will flee from it, says the Catechist. We will run away from our sinful desires. And so in conviction, the Holy Spirit invigorates our wills, so that being repulsed by our sin, we want to escape from it. But but where shall we run to? How shall we escape the awful dread of meeting God with our sins still evident in our lives? We need a saviour. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12 to 13 says, Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Now, despite how that sounds, all of that is good news. We call it the mortification of sin, dying to sin. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, teaching us that we are sinners, causing us through smiting our conscience to hate our sin, changing our wills so that we recoil from that sin and want to run from it. All of that is important because without that mortification of sin, we cannot ever hope to be saved. If you're concerned about your sin, if you realize that your whole life is an offense to God and that your life of sin will damn you to the lake of fire for all of eternity, then there is hope for you. For only God himself will have revealed that to you. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. So, following the biblical pattern of preaching, law and gospel, the catechist then begins to teach us the other side of the equation. And in question 90, he then asks the next question, what is the coming to life of the new nature? And the answer here is, it is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ, and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. A few years ago, I decided to conduct a kind of informal survey. Because we used to sing a hymn many years ago, What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have peace in my soul which so long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. So I simply asked a few Christian friends to tell me what's the difference. What is the wonderful change in your life that has been wrought when Jesus came into your heart? 
Now, a lot of people just simply looked at me as if, as if I was asking the, the stupidest question ever asked. Some thought I was asking a kind of a trick question or trying to be smart. Others attempted a sincere answer and said things, well, like, you know, well, I, I'm happy all the time. Eh? Really? All the time? Well, maybe not all the time. So let's try with the help of our instructor in the catechism to answer that question. What is the change in our hearts that has been wrought by the Lord Jesus by conversion? And again, the catechist gives us three indications to show what this new life in Christ will look like. The first one is that there will be joy in God through Christ. Now we've talked about joy in our morning services recently. Again in Psalm 51 and verse 12 the psalmist says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And so in conversion the sinner will turn from that love of sin and have a new love, a love of God. The sinner takes pleasure in his sin. He doesn't care about God he doesn't care about judgment. The saint, on the other hand, takes no pleasure in his sin. The saint's real joy is in his relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's all because of what Jesus has done for him. The Christian at conversion gets a whole new perspective on the Lord Jesus Christ. Before conversion, Jesus is just one more historical figure, if even that. Maybe he's just someone whose name is used in blasphemy. But now he is the wonderful saviour of men. He is the Lord, the King of Kings. He's my friend. He's the constant companion. He's the one who never leaves me or forsakes me. He is the one who bore all my burden of guilt and shame, taking upon himself all my sin, bearing my guilt like the Christian poet, I can say, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Joy in God through Christ. The second indication of this new birth, coming to life of the new man, is that we will have a a desire, a delight in doing what pleases the Lord. We want to please the Lord in everything that we do. Because before conversion, we simply live for ourselves. We simply live in our own righteousness. We simply live for our own personal enrichment. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, which we previously would have thought it was, because life's all about me but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So after conversion, we live to please our God. We live to do his will. We live to follow after him, to dwell with him, to enjoy his presence. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and lofty places with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So evidences of 
conversion. A new, a new perspective on Christ. Joy in what the Lord has done for us. Appreciation of Jesus. Joy in God through Christ. Secondly, a desire to walk in ways that please the Lord. And thirdly, the outworking of our salvation in good works. And we're going to look at that in our next class. So we have two aspects to conversion. The Holy Spirit does his work. He comes and he convicts us of our sin. And he regenerates us, gives us new life so that we will not be the same. We have passed from darkness unto light. After the darkness of conviction of sin comes the glorious light of regeneration, when God renews our dead spirit within us and gives us new life in Jesus. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 8 to verse 11, Paul writes this, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we call that conviction of sin the mortification of sin. And we call that regeneration, this coming to new life, vivification. Notice that in both aspects of conversion, in dying and being born again, dying to sin, being born to new life in Christ, the catechist uses the word heartfelt. That's a warm word, isn't it? That's a deeply personal word to indicate that God does these things personally in you, in me. He inwardly renews us. He applies Christ's saving work to us as we mourn and repent of our sins, he converts us by his sovereign grace. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.